Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for God is good. God's steadfast love endures forever. The mercies of the Lord are from everlasting to everlasting. They are new every morning. So come, let us worship the Lord our God.
give thanks to the Lord, call on God's name, make known God's deeds among the people. God's holy name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and God's strength. Seek God's presence continually. Mysterious and loving God, we do not always understand you or your ways, but in your presence there is something that entices us, that comforts us, that challenges us towards the world that we desire. We thank you, Lord, for meeting us in unexpected places. Spark within us curiosity and draw us closer to you this day. We pray in the name of the triune God. and peace to you and welcome to the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia on this beautiful Labor Day weekend. We are glad and grateful to gather together in the name of the Lord and because it is in Christ's name that we have gathered, that means that our word of welcome is one that is always extended with no qualifying adjectives whatsoever attached to it. All are welcome in God's house, so all are welcome here at First Church. We do ask everyone, members and guests alike, if you would kindly sign the friendship pad. You should see that on your pew. Just sign it, send it down and back again, and then we will have the advantage of each other's names at the conclusion of worship that we might speak to one another. I'd also like to invite everyone to a special reception following the service in Old Buttonwood Hall. This reception is to honor and to thank Andrew Sin on his last day here after 17 years as our organist choir master, so please do Come into Old Buttonwood and give Andrew your well wishes as he goes forth to a new calling. We also would like to highlight a few things from the announcements portion of your bulletin for your particular attention. The first is our welcome back brunch, which will be next Sunday after the worship service. So please do plan to have lunch here at church and greet your friends and gather together in Christian fellowship as we celebrate being back here for the fall. I'd also like to highlight uh, that next Sunday we'll have a, an opportunity to engage more deeply with the Reverend Laura Coley, who is leading worship here at First Church for the first time today. Laura is, of course, our new associate pastor, and we have years to get to know her as well. With all of these things, oh, and one more thing, there is a walking tour following the conclusion of the brunch next Sunday, uh, and there's information about that in your bulletin, but you do need to let Rick Unger know if you would like to participate in that, and his email address you'll find there in the bulletin. Now, with all of these things noted, let us continue our worship with our confession of sin. Thousands of years ago, on the outskirts of society, a man named Moses encountered the living God in the form of a burning bush. And he dared to be turned aside. He dared to have his plans derailed for the sake of the divine. And we are here today because we dare to turn ourselves aside too, to hear the God of all creation calling our name, urging us to turn away from our isolation and our selfishness to be reunited with God and with one another. So come, 
let us turn ourselves towards God and toward one another by praying together our prayer of confession, first out loud with our communal prayer, and then silently. Let us pray. Holy God, you have set before us a way of abundant life. You spoke the words that created a community dedicated to your service. The way of life you want for us is clear. And yet, we do not always lean into your call on our lives. Our reasons are manifold and personal, but you are not a God of excuses and qualifiers. You are a God of grace, who calls us again and again to be your holy people. Forgive us our sins, we pray, and restore us to right relationship with you and one another. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. news of this day as even though that we so regularly turn ourselves away from God and from one another God still turns toward us God calls us God forgives us God hears our prayers and sets us free to be the people we were created to be friends believe the promise of the gospel in Jesus Christ we are forgiven
first scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Listen for God's word for you. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints, extend hospitality to strangers. And bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, leave, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink, for by doing this you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Our second scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 21 through 28. Listen again for God's word for you. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and priests, chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a stumbling block to me. For you are setting your mind not on the divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who will lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Before we come to our final reading of scripture, I do want to highlight one announcement that I neglected in the announcements. That is an insert which is in your bulletin about an upcoming lecture at the Presbyterian Historical Society as part of our 325th anniversary celebration. It's all there in the insert. I don't want to neglect it, but I also won't read it to you. But the most important thing is that there is a deadline for registration. So please do uh, register for that event. 
Our final reading of scripture today comes to us from the book of Exodus, the third chapter. We read there from the first verse through the 15th. Continue to listen for the word of God to us this day. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jericho, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then God said, Come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their suffering. And I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I also have seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. Now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the, Egypt, the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. God said further, thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to, the, to Moses, thus you shall say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my title for all generations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Almighty, eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. One of my favorite quotations comes from Elie Wiesel. I typically trot it out sometime during Advent. He said, whenever an angel says, be not afraid, you'd better start worrying. A big assignment is on the way. Strange creatures in my bedroom at night strikes me as a perfectly reasonable basis for fear. If the Bible is a reliable source, we should be afraid of their appearance, not just the content of their message, however demanding that may be. So, it's good advice. And to his sage line about angels and assignments, I would like to add my own pithy bit of advice. Feel free to use it as it strikes you to be pertinent in your life. And it's this, beware of the burning bush. That's my advice. If you don't want your life to be disquieted and disrupted, run away from the burning bush. When my brother's stepson joined the Navy, he gave him a pithy bit of advice also from his own days in the Marine Corps. He said, don't be first, don't be last, and whatever you do, do not volunteer for anything. Now think for a moment of how different Moses' life would have come out if he simply would have heeded these simple pieces of advice. When you see a burning bush in the wilderness, run away. I mean, you see, I can't imagine that Moses was looking for more excitement in his life. I mean, you know his story. Some of it's magic, some of it's tragic. Pharaoh tried to stamp out the Hebrews by murdering their firstborns at birth, but the Midwives Shifra and Puah had other ideas and refused to carry out his terrible orders. Then to save her own child's life, Moses' mother put him in a basket and floated him down the river, which is nothing more than his sister standing in the reeds to look, watch over him. And then Pharaoh's own daughter found him. Like a shot, Moses' sister sprang to action, offering to find a nursemaid to assist the Egyptian princess in raising this Hebrew baby. When the dust settled, Moses was safe from Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's own daughter was paying Moses' mother to raise her own child. Later, Moses was taken to be educated in the household of the very man who sought to kill him. And remember, as a Hebrew male, he would have had a tale, telltale mark of the covenant on his body, and yet he was raised in an Egyptian palace. He was a made man, to steal a line from the old gangsters, but what an uneasy way to have it made, to be looking constantly over one's own shoulder. Then one day Moses came across an Egyptian overseer abusing a Hebrew slave, and Moses killed the Egyptian in a fit of rage. Knowing swift justice would be demanded, Moses went on the lamb, hiding in Midian. In the hillbilly world of Midian, the Bible makes a 
long story short, in this case, Moses got married and went to work herding his stepfather's sheep. This all seems like a reasonable story so far, right? Generally speaking, when you are wanted for a crime, you might want to avoid seeking out high-profile assignments. Generally speaking, if you've already cheated death once in your life, you might step aside from the supernatural. It might have been wise if Moses would have heeded the advice, beware of the burning bush. If I had been him, I would have run like there was a pack of rabid wolves chasing me. Now, continuing our theme of gen generally accepted wisdom, when something that is not supposed to have flames shooting out of it, in fact, does have flames shooting out of it, it's usually good wisdom to leave it alone. So maybe, perhaps, God knew that the sort of person who was needed for this job was the sort of person who would walk right up to a shrub with sparks spitting out of it to get a better look. Problem is, though, that the sort of person that would walk right up to a pyrotechnic pyracantha is also the sort of person who has no compunction whatsoever saying to the Almighty, thanks for thinking of me, but I'm going to sit this one out. Five times God and Moses go back and forth, point, counterpoint, and I think perhaps the writer of Exodus put this story in here in particularly this way so that we would have a little foreshadowing exactly what was going to come between God and Moses. Back and forth go God and Moses all through the years. Their relationship seems at times to be marked by argument, whining, and obstructionism. And it wasn't always Moses doing those things. It is a close, pushy, difficult relationship. But before we witness this merry-go-round, before we learn of God's faithfulness to God's sometimes feckless followers, Moses asks for God's name. And it is not as innocent a question as it appears to be. Naming is important in the Bible. Generally, what is named is significant. It's a trick question. If God answers, then Moses will know the nature of the deity with whom he is arguing. In the ancient Egyptian culture, to be able to name a deity was to exact control over it, to take for oneself the power to coerce. In seeking God's name, the wily Moses is seeking to know God's very essence and thus to claim control of their nascent relationship. Moses' culture, the culture in which he was raised, was one full of deities and idols, talismans upon which the people placed their deepest hopes and into whom they confided their deepest fears. These talismans could be transported here and there, and when good fortune followed, it seemed that the deities were strong and were favoring their owners. And when bad fortune followed, 
it could be assumed that their deities were weak or that their owners had fallen into disfavor. To know the name of your God is to be able to control it. And God answered, I am. I am alive. I am real. I am not dead stone, but the living God, the Holy One of Israel, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. That is the common translation. That is the translation you will find if you open the Bible in your pew racks and look it up. But I actually prefer a different translation. The Hebrew phrase is a bit on the murky side, eyah, asher, eyah, and there is disagreement among scholars as to how exactly it should be translated. It can also be translated, I will be with you. What an extraordinary promise to counter all of our arguing and bickering with God about a calling. I am who I am can also be I will be with you howsoever I will be with you. And once Moses approached that burning bush, he couldn't not be called anymore. And what a calling to wander in the wilderness with a mercurial, tempestuous, unpredictable pack of Episcopalians, I mean of God's people, Forgive my double negative, but he couldn't ignore it. He could turn his back on it. He could walk away, but he couldn't not be called. That's true for all of us. There's a real tendency among us humans to think that the notion of being called to service is something that is reserved for other people. But when it comes to God calling us, we are all fair game. We're here. We have, in every way that is important, come to the burning bush. And that's the irony of faith. If you don't want to hear what the burning bush has to say, stay away from it. There was a pulpit I preached in a number of years ago. I no longer remember where it was. Somewhere the Presbytery had asked me to preach in the backwater of North Carolina. I walked into the tiny Presbyterian church in the middle of nowhere, a, a hamlet an hour and a half from anywhere, to preach my sermon to a congregation comprised of four very elderly cousins who were also the session of the church. When I walked up to the pulpit to put my sermon notes on, on it before the service, I noticed that this particular pulpit looked a bit on the odd side. Now, it's not an uncommon thing for pulpits to have some carving on them. Generally, they're descending doves or a cross or a Cairo or an Alpha and Omega, sometimes the names of old dead ministers. But this particular carving was a burning bush on the front of that pulpit. And I had shown up here with a suitcase sermon for a congregation I'd never met, was probably never going to see again, about to stand on a pulpit with a burning bush on it and think that I somehow had a word from the Lord for them. They were a congregation I'd never met. I was
never see them again. And they wanted inspiration. And what God had sent them was a straight-out-of-seminary 24-year-old who couldn't begin to understand what was going on in the life of their congregation, what that little church had meant to them, and what anxieties they had about its future, and whether or not God was still with them. I might not have had the word for them that day, but God did. That's the promise of faith. But even when we stand there thinking, holy smokes, what was the Presbytery thinking? I'm not up to this. Send someone else forward. That God is already there. The God who has promised to be with us, howsoever God will be with us, has already chosen to be present. You know, every one of us is capable of a mercurial, tempestuous, unpredictable argument with God. It's probably frequently going on within us. We Christians are notorious for a few things. I think I've identified them through the years, mostly because I've identified them in myself. One of them being that we really, at a gut level, know what God wants. It's just that sometimes we don't really want to do it. Nonetheless, you're here. I'm going to resist putting this in the plural. That's what we preachers do. We want to look like we're not singling anyone out. We put it in the plural. But I'm going to resist that today because this word is directly for you. Conventional wisdom says that if you want the easy way, you should avoid going to places where expectations are a way of life. And yet, here you are. You have come to this burning bush even knowing that God will ask something of you. And that does fly in the face of the conventional wisdom, don't be first, don't be last, and don't volunteer for anything. But nonetheless, here you are, seeking a word from God for your life. The Gospel writer Matthew takes great pains to set Jesus up as the new Moses. There are five great teaching discourses in Matthew, just like the five books of the law at the beginning of the Bible. When Jesus gives up, gets up to give his great sermon on the law, just like Moses, he stands on a mountaintop and preaches about God's way for us. In the passage we read this morning, Jesus, the new Moses, tells anyone listening that we have to take up our crosses and follow him. What could possibly be enough to convince anyone that this is a reasonable course of action, a reasonable way of life? I will be with you. When they ask me who sent me, what shall I say? Tell them, I will be with you howsoever I will be with you. You have every reason to want to avoid places that demand commitment from you, and yet you are here. Our reasons are as personal as our very own selves. Maybe you are here because tending your father-in-law's sheep has gotten a bit boring. Or maybe you're here because the fishing in the Sea of Galilee just isn't quite what it used to be. 
Or maybe you're here because you heard Jesus was coming by, so you shimmied up a tree to get a look. Whatever the reason, there is a burning bush, and God is speaking to you. What's the word from God to you today? And perhaps more importantly, what are you going to do about it? When confronted with a calling, the church and the individual, just like Moses, have to reach conclusions about what to do. Now, in some ways, God has given us a very clear path. The instructions are plain. We are to be a voice for hospitality that rises to the level of God's hospitality. We are to preach and to make our way of life one that speaks to the deepest inclusion imaginable because we are included within God's very own self. We are to be, this particular congregation, but Christians in general, a place of nurture for all of God's people, whether they, it calls us to be a companion to youth and children as they walk through the valley of adolescence or with the elderly as they go through aging and everything in between. To be here, to be a part of this body, is to be called to a way of life. And I get that it's a little dangerous to talk about calling because we might start to get some ideas about how to do God's work in the world. Good. In fact, this morning, I feel called to perplex you with a question. What is God calling you to do? Whatever it is, do it. Because the call of Moses was God's response to the cries of God's people. And if you think God's people have stopped crying... Well, just listen a little bit. What is God calling you to do? I do get that as absurd as it surely seems to the pain of the world, God's response was to send someone to make God's case. The great preacher Carlisle Marney once said that for God to send Moses was akin to a Supreme Court justice accused of murder, saying, I'll let the first-year clerk take my defense. Nonetheless, we are who God uses. We are who God calls. But Lord, I can't speak for you. I'm not articulate. I have a stutter. I will be with you howsoever I will be with you. But Lord, I am afraid of those people. They are not like me. I won't know what to say. I will be with you howsoever I will be with you. God, I could spend that money ten other ways. I'm sure I haven't saved enough for a rainy day. I will be with you howsoever I will be with you. Lord, my sermon's not good enough. I'm not up to speaking for you. I will be with you, howsoever I will be with you. 
Oh, it's easier to say, don't be first, don't be last, and don't volunteer for anything. There's just one problem with that wisdom. The only way to get to where Jesus says to us, come unto me and rest, is to start where he says, Take up your cross and follow me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. of us.
but God does not call each of us alone. Remembering that we do the work of the church together, let us declare as a community what we believe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. God's story is not one of individual heroes. It's a story of community. It's a story of lineages and ancestors, of movements and relationships. Our faith is one that moves us to step out into the power that God has given us. In the spirit of this tradition, we are invited at this time to bring our resources together our tithes and offerings will now be received.
just as you called Moses long ago, so you call each of us to speak and act on your behalf in our world today. We ask you to bless these gifts for your work in the world and give us courage to step out in our faith, to follow where you lead without hesitation or fear, trusting that your presence goes before us and that you will provide what we need. Amen. join together in prayer. Loving God, we thank you for this sacred time and this sacred place. We thank you for this opportunity to consider your love for us. So often we walk through the world in a casual and easy way, as though untouched, unmarked, unmoved. And then you break into the ordinariness of our daily lives and you tell us to come. You hear our cries and you jump the track to meet us in our loneliness, our uncertainty, and our fear. You call us by name, and you ask us to follow you into the world, to drop all that we expect and demand of our lives, and to go into the places of deep pain. You ask us to follow you, into places where we may not want to go, into places of economic uncertainty and social tension, into places of political and emotional unrest, into broken relationships, into the lives of those who've been forced to the margins. God, remind us again and again and again that you will go with us, that you will give us signs of your presence. Help us to choose to turn ourselves toward you, even when staying on the well-worn path feels so much easier, so much less demanding. Present God, we pray for the world around us, the many of us who continue to suffer and to cry out for help. We pray for those who are picking up the pieces after natural disasters, for those reeling from gun violence, for those struggling to make ends meet, for those managing difficult diagnoses, for those engulfed in grief, and for those who cannot imagine a way forward in their relationships. God, enter into these empty places with us and make your abiding presence known. We pray, O oh God, for your church, the church around the world, that it would be a living demonstration of your kingdom on earth. Move within us so that we might be a place that rejoices with those who rejoice, that weeps with those who weep, and offers hospitality and nourishment to all, showing love to friends and enemies alike, seeking to live in your revolutionary peace. God, we praise you for your faithful and daring love. Open our eyes to recognize your presence in our lives. Give us grace to hear your call, to know your love, to be loved, and to respond to your presence. In hearing your voice, may we find our place in your creation. Even now, as we pray the prayer that your child taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.
light of the biblical witness, I'd like to amend my previous advice. Beware of the burning bush. Beware of it. But nonetheless, when God calls you, listen and go. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace, both this day and forevermore. Amen.